making mistakes are one of those realities that just follow us around. There's no way of escaping them. They bring us back to Earth every now and then, reminding us that we're human. And no one is immune to making mistakes, not even a doctor who finds himself treating a patient who was also a hitman in a former life. My name's Jess Ong, and this is a podcast from Spun Stories, a live storytelling night in Darwin. So that doctor, the one who came face-to-face with a hitman, is Simon Quilty. Simon lives in Catherine, which is a town about 320 kilometres south of Darwin. The first mistake that I ever made in my life was when I was about five years old. And when you make a mistake and you hurt somebody, it really sticks in your memory. And this is very crystal clear in my childhood memory. My brother and I had two mice. I had Brownie and he had Whitey. Whitey was white with big, red, beautiful eyes. And Ben didn't like me playing with Whitey unaccompanied by him. And the mouse cage had a glass sliding door. And I'd finished playing with the mouse, the mice, and I pushed them back into the cage. And Whitey made a run for it, and I dropped the glass. I mistimed. And Whitey's eyes, beautiful red eyes, popped out of his head right in front of me. And as a five-year-old, I was deeply horrified. I pushed his body back into the cage and never told anyone. I did tell Ben about 20 years, 20 years later. He didn't really believe me, but it is true. So when I was about five or six years ago, I was working at John Hunter Hospital in Newcastle and I was doing an, an evening shift. And I came into the emergency department as, as a very big emergency department, a busy place. And there was a 60-year-old man with grey hair in, a, in the resuscitation unit. He was very, very unwell. And I was in there looking after him with a, another nurse. And all of a sudden, so he, we were looking after some complex problems. All of a sudden, his heart went into a fatal terminal arrhythmia. And he slumped down and the nurse and I quickly put the paddles on and electrocuted his heart back into action. So from his perspective, he didn't really know what had happened. He thought he'd just gone to sleep momentarily and he woke up and he said, what just happened? And I explained that we, what we'd done. And at first he didn't really believe me, but he had some burn marks on his chest. And, um, and he was very grateful and I really liked, there was something very raw about a lot of working class people in their 60s and 70s from Newcastle. There's a great honesty with these people. And, but I didn't think that much of it and I walked away and rode my bike home and thought I'd never see him again. And about two or three months later, I went to work once again and did a long shift at Maitland Hospital. Maitland Hospital is over 100 years old. It's, a, it's in a misty valley. It's a very old building and it feels like there's ghosts all through it. And I walked into the emergency department late in the afternoon, in the evening actually, and there was this old mate sitting in a bed and he saw me straight away and he's like, hey, Simon, and he started telling the nurses, oh, that bloke over there, he saved my life, you know. And, and um, so it turned out that he had a medical problem. He had some fluid in his lung. 
and he was frustrated. He'd been in the emergency department for a long time and he felt that no one was listening to him. And it was my job to actually drain this fluid off his lungs. So I took him into the resuscitation bay. And it was a small closed room with curtains all around it. And it was just him and I in the room. And it's a very intimate space. And I often feel that this space, probably most of you, some of you will understand what I mean, but it's, it's very intimate between the doctor and the patient. And it sometimes feels like two ships at sea. And, and I'm the strong ship, the, the ship that's there to fix the sinking ship. And, and not many people get to see that very intimate relationship. And I started chatting to him. Uh, so we already had this very uh, close thing that you get when you save somebody's life. And, and he was very open with me. He started telling me about his life as a child when he grew up in Newcastle and he was at a young age in a very large family. He was quickly uh, taken up into the racing scene, doing some illegal things as a child, and then he became a debt collector and it went on uh, to him becoming quite a fearsome debt collector. <laughs> and so we were yarning away as I was... Uh, building up towards this uh, this procedure that I was doing. And um, I asked him, you know, mate, have you ever killed anyone? And he said, ah, oh, mate, I've stabbed a couple of people and I shut a couple of blokes in the knee. And, 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 you know, this was obviously 20 years in his past and he was a pretty rough old diamond, but there was something intrinsically likeable about him. And so I'm sitting up there putting the needle, a big long horse needle, up to his back and cleaning his back with alcohol and there's technical machine all around beeping and um, and to drain the fluid you have to know where it is and so earlier that day I'd done, a ch I'd done exactly the same procedure on a younger man who had fluid in the other lung and in my head I had muddled up his chest x-ray with the other man's chest x-ray. So I've cleaned his back and I'm getting the needle there and I'm pushing it in and I'm sucking back on the needle and I'm waiting for the kind of egg yolk coloured fluid to come back into the syringe. And finally I pop through and he winces with pain and all that comes out is the air from his good lung. And it was... A horrendous moment. My hands had a sticky, horrible, sick feeling, and I don't know how to describe the feeling, but it was a little bit like when I killed my brother's mouse, but only a lot worse, because <laughs> this was a complete mistake, uh, a complete error. I hadn't been concentrating, and I said, I immediately said, I'm so sorry, mate. I've just put the needle into the wrong lung. And he said, yeah, I, I, I knew you were doing it. And I, I, and I said, oh, why didn't you say something? And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't need to apologise to me. Like, this is the other way around. I'm really sorry, mate. I'm really sorry. And look, so, so then my, my professional responsibilities kicked in. And I won't bore you with the details, but I had to put a chest tube into his lung. Um, and we had to get him up into the intensive care because I'd buggered his one good lung. And... Um, there was a certain intimacy in all of this moment and, and the intimacy was that here's this man that spent a lifetime hurting other people and I've forgiven him before I hurt him and then I've hurt him and he's immediately forgiven me. 
Um, and it was a very touching moment. And so later on that night, I walked up to his room to see how he was going. And, um, and I came up and I was very shaken and I said to him, how are you going, mate? He said, oh, I'm all right. And every breath that he took was, it would hurt. And he said, how are you going? And, you know, straight away back to that image of the two ships at sea. But we're both kind of sinking in our own way. And I said to him, I'm okay, I think. I think I'm okay. And then I said, mate, there's something I didn't tell you down there before. I've stabbed someone too. And he said, oh, bullshit, Simon, you've never stabbed anyone. And I said, mate, I just stabbed you. <laughs> and he started to laugh and, he, and it hurt him a lot. And so I'm the only person that I know that stabbed a hitman, joked with him about it immediately afterwards and then made him cry. Simon obviously survived this encounter and shared his story a few years ago when we went down the track to Catherine and held a pop-up event under a starry dry season sky. And speaking of dry seasons, this is the last episode for season six of our podcast. We're looking forward to the arrival of cool weather where the humidity tapers off, the tension is released and weekends are spent camping and lazing around. If you want to stay in the spun loop, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. We also send out the occasional newsletter, but no spamming can promise you that. You can sign up on our website, spunstories.net. And if you like what you've heard this season or any of our other seasons, there are five others, why not give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts? It's such a joy to get stories from our tropical town out into the world, but we can't do it without you. So if your family or friends come up to you and are saying that they really want something to listen to, something that's interesting, different, takes you places you never thought you'd go, then send them our way. In this episode, Tamara Howie was behind story production. It featured sound editing by Ryan MacArthur, sound production by Gaia Osborne and music by Sam Carmody. Thanks to Darwin International Airport for their funding support and Spun Stories comes out of the Creative Production House Story Projects. If you've spent time in the top end, you might know the traditional custodians of the Darwin region are the Larrakia people. We're grateful to them as first storytellers and for welcoming us to their country. My name's Jess Ong. Thanks for listening and we'll be back with Season 7 in a few months.